Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Last week we started the book of Matthew. We made it through the wonderful genealogy at the beginning. So we can get to the good stuff. I actually contemplated calling J.C. and asking him to sing Christmas music today. Because we're actually going to do part of the Christmas story. Years, 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 years ago, when I was in the singles department, I was in the adult choir, and we actually sang a Christmas musical one July. We sang it for a group of music directors who were trying to pick what Christmas music to sing. So it was a brand new piece, and we sang it, and it was kind of odd singing Christmas music in July. Well, here we are today covering the Christmas story in July. What can I say? The book of Matthew, we started last week with a discussion of why Matthew wrote the book. He wrote the book to convince us, to convince the audience that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is the fulfillment of the promises that were made to Abraham that through Abraham's seed all the nations would be blessed. And that Jesus the Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy to David that a member of David's family, a descendant of David, would sit on the throne forever. We saw this in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Connecting back to David and Abraham. Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. We will see in today's lesson and in a lot of other lessons, references to the Old Testament. It was written, and he'll quote the Old Testament prophets, talking about Jesus Christ. So we finished off the genealogies, and we got started into the discussion of the fact that Joseph and Mary were betrothed to each other. You know, sometimes we begin to think that Being betrothed is just kind of like being engaged. Well, in a Jewish community, it would have been a lot more um, serious. And in fact, if you were betrothed to someone, to break off the betrothal, you would have to get a divorce, even though you had never actually lived together. The idea was we would be betrothed to each other, We were committed to each other, and the man would go off and prepare a place. There's some biblical imagery here, by the way. Prepare a place for the bride to come. And as some commentators say, it also was probably a year-long period to guarantee the purity of the wife. I mean, let's look at this. Nine months. Okay, it fits, right? There's a problem. There's a problem. Mary shows up pregnant in the midst of this period. I mean, that's what it was supposed to demonstrate. Was she or was she not a virgin? And here she shows up pregnant. And Joseph goes, oh, what am I going to do? By the law, he could take her out, present her publicly... And say, pick up the rocks, we're going to stone her. She has obviously broken the commands of God. He wasn't going to do that, though. 
he decided that he would put her away quietly. They would break off the betrothal, you know, like has happened many times. She would go away, have a baby, and okay? No problem. That was the merciful thing for him to do. But then an angel showed up to talk to David. Four times in the next chapter and a half, angels are going to show up to talk to David. Joseph. Joseph. Excuse me. (laughs) Thank you. Joseph. The husband of Mary. Not David. I get all these confused. Just wait until a moment. Then we'll get it all really confused. What was his name? Joseph. Four times in the next chapter and a half, Joseph is going to have a vision from an angel telling him what to do. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not sure I've had an, ever had an angel tell me what to do. But this angel shows up and says, Mary has a child, but there is no biological father. The father of this child is God. And we left kind of with the discussion of, you're David. I did it again. You're Joseph. You've got me hooked now. You're Joseph. What are you going to think? What are you going to think about the fact that your betrothed wife is pregnant And you get this vision that there is no biological father. Now, I want to step aside just for a few minutes to talk about why this is important. It was important for Matthew to talk about this because there would have been rumors later, well, if Joseph's not the father, who is the father? Okay? So we had to deal with those rumors, but that's not the real reason. Why is it important that we understand that Jesus the Christ did not have a biological father, a human father? If you remember from last year's discussions, as we worked our way through the book of Romans... There was a discussion about the fact that we have inherited a sin nature from Adam. You were born a sinner. You know, it's the old, do you sin because you're a sinner or do you, are you a sinner because you sin? And the answer is yes. Okay? As soon as you're old enough to do anything, you're old enough to sin. Because you were born with the sin nature that you inherited from Adam. Why is that important? Because if Adam is going to be the first Adam and give sin to all people, Christ can be the second Adam and provide righteousness to all people. In the same way we have imputed righteousness from Christ, we got imputed sin from Adam. But the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is both the perfect sacrifice, the one without blemish, and the perfect priest to offer that sacrifice 
because he did not have to die to pay the penalty for his own sin. In order for Jesus the Christ to be sinless from the day he was born till the day he died, he could not be a descendant of Adam's. Hmm. He was born of Mary and of God. He is both God and he is man. You would not imagine the controversies within the church for thousands of years regarding the nature of Jesus Christ. He is both fully God and fully man, and we will talk about this at length. Because there'll be times where it is obvious that he is human. He gets hungry. He weeps. He suffers. There are times where it will be obvious that he is God. He tells the storms to stop, and they stop. But we in our minds want to put him in one of these two categories. He is a great teacher, but he's just a man. I had a professor, a humanities professor, and her two favorite heroes from history were Jesus Christ and Socrates. They both died because of what they taught. But that's all they were. They were great teachers. Jesus is going to claim to be God. And that's what's going to get him killed, I might add. But we're a long way from that. The angel shows up to talk to Joseph, not David. The angel shows up and tells Joseph, you need to take care of Mary. That child is going to save his people. And you're going to call him Jesus, which is the New Testament version of the Old Testament name. What? Joshua. Savior. So, Joseph says, yes, sir. And that's where we ended last week's lesson. So, picking up today, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. You have a year-long betrothal period. And in the middle of it, Joseph takes Mary and he takes her home. This would have been borderline scandalous. Okay? The obvious implication was Joseph had gotten her pregnant and Joseph was being a good guy and taking her home. But this would have been scandalous. So he takes her home, but it says that he didn't know her That's the biblical sense of the word no. They didn't have sex until after the birth of Jesus. Now, if you're a good Roman Catholic, you believe that they never had sex, that Mary was a virgin till the day that she died. Well, wait a minute. She didn't die. 
But that's a whole different story. I think the biblical implication is, is that from this verse and from other references, is that he did have sex with her, but not until Jesus was born. There wasn't going to be any discussion, any misunderstanding about who the father of this child was. So, Jesus is born. The book of Matthew does not give us a lot of the details about the birth of Christ that we say, see in, say, the book of Luke. That's why at Christmas time, we spend a whole lot more time in the book of Luke than we do in the book of Matthew. Remember, Matthew is out to show that Jesus is the king that will sit on David's throne. So he is going to take the aspects of the story that deal with his kingship and he is going to present those to us. So there's no shepherds showing up, but there are wise men coming. Chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Let's back up a little bit more. King Herod. We're going to meet at least two Herods in the life of Jesus. This is Herod the first, Herod the Great, who was king of Judea till very shortly after the time that Jesus was born. The uh, National Geographic History magazine in November, December of last year had a cover story about Herod the first. The subtitle is Visionary or Villain? And the ans- their answer was yes. Let's give you the fastest rundown of history that you can imagine. You've heard of Alexander the Great, right? His father, Philip of Macedon, came down from Macedonia, conquered uh, Greece. Alexander the Great wanted to conquer the world. He built up an unbeatable army of Greeks. He went into Persia. He conquered the Middle East. He started heading east and just kept going. He got into the middle of India. And his troops finally said, uh, when do we get to go home? We've been gone a long time. But you see, Alexander the Great just wanted to keep going. But he gave in to his troops And he headed back home, and on the way back home, he died very young, 30-something. His kingdom was divided between his generals, and his generals began fighting with each other for hundreds of years. And in the midst of this chaos in the Middle East, there were some Jews who decided this would be a great opportunity for us to regain our power and our influence. So the Maccabees revolted against the remnants of Alexander the Great's empires, and for a brief moment, they had an independent Israel again. But more wars followed, And they made a fatal mistake. They asked the Romans to come help them. Let me just tell you, 
for general purposes, don't ask the Romans to come help you. Because they will come help you. And they'll stay. Well, they stayed, and the Romans appointed Herod's father as kind of the treasurer of the company, of the country. His job was to collect the taxes. So, there was another revolt. Herod went to Rome and said, we need your help to squish the Hasmoneans who are rising up against us. And the Romans said, sure, you go take care of it. You are king of Judea. And Herod the first, Herod the great, became king of Judea. And he began, first off, he won the battle. He took, recaptured Jerusalem. He kicked the Hasmoneans out. Rah, rah, life is good. He then started on a series of building projects. He rebuilt the temple. The temple that Jesus is going to deal with is not Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed years before. It is Herod's temple that was rebuilt. It was much bigger, huge, massive walls. That was Herod's doing. He built cities. He built cities on the coast. He built the city on top of Masada, which will come into Jewish history much later. He built lots of things. He actually was struggling to try to get the Jews to like him. The problem was he was a king of the Jews and he was not Jewish. He was actually an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. Now, apparently, his father had converted to Judaism. So his father pretended to be a Jew. Herod's mother was not a Jew. Herod tried to be a Jew, except when it was inconvenient, and he didn't. He brought in uh, the gladiators and had games, which was very offensive to the Jews. He put up pagan gods all around the place, which was very offensive to the Jews. The Jews never accepted him. And what that led him to was great paranoia. He killed off sons. He killed off wives. He was married to at least nine different women. Probably some at the same time. Who knows? Killed them off. At one point, having built all of this grandeur, he decided he needed some cash. Now, there was a rumor that in King David... And I really do mean David, not Joseph. In King David's burial site, there was all this gold. So Herod and some guys went out there in the middle of the night to rob David's tomb. There wasn't anything there. But that did insult the Jews, that you would even try doing such a thing. The article in the National Geographic makes the comment... That while there is no evidence outside the scripture that Herod ordered the death of all the children in Bethlehem, the male children, it is certainly in keeping with his character, his paranoia, to do such a thing. So, Herod is king. A group of guys show up to Herod's 
palace and they say, we're here to find the king of the Jews. Just one moment, you're Herod, what do you think? I've got to find this guy and I've got to kill him. It is interesting, the the passage says, in fact, let's read it exactly. Wise men from the east, we generally refer to them as Magi. Somehow in the song they became we three kings. There is all kinds of tradition about these three men, up to including names for them. What are the names of the three guys? Come on. Huh? Balthazar is the one we always remember. Huh? I don't know. In fact, if you start looking, there's actually more than one set of names. There are those who want to say that they are descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. They represent all of humanity coming to worship Jesus Christ. All that stuff is great, but isn't really in the story, okay? The story tells us that a group of wise men, it doesn't even say there's three of them. Why do we think there's three of them? Because they give three gifts. If they bring three gifts, there must be three wise men, three, okay, that's where we get it from. A group of wise men see an astronaut Some sign in the sky that they can't figure out. And they come from the east, probably Persia. They've probably been studying the skies. They've probably been studying ancient literature. It is not outside the realm of possibility that they had studied the Old Testament. Copies of this still existed. It's quite possible they had studied all this. They saw something in the sky. They didn't know what it was. And they came to see. Now, if you're coming to see, you show up, you visit the king because you want his help. So they show up to King Herod and they say, where is the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Do you remember when Saul finally realized that David was going to be his replacement? And Saul wanted to kill David because he didn't want a replacement? They show up and they want to know where the king is. Wait a minute. Aren't I the king? Eh, not really. You're not a descendant of David. You're not even a true Jew. You can't be the king of the Jews. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. That's kind of one of those understatements, you know. We would say he was really ticked off. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Here's a general rule. If mother's upset, the whole household is upset. Remember that. If the king is upset, all of Jerusalem is upset. Can you imagine? I mean, this wasn't done in secret. These wise men, with their entourage, show up and they say, where's the king of the Jews? 
Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows that a competitor to Herod is around. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Here's that pattern again, over and over, where Matthew continues to point back to the Old Testament to demonstrate that Christ is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Notice, big meeting, where's the king? Secret meeting, he tells the wise men. And ascertains from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now it is interesting because there have been lots of studies trying to demonstrate what this star was. That it was in fact a natural phenomena and some of these studies are very interesting and I'm not going to dispute a single one of them. But it's quite possible that it's just the glory of God hanging out where Jesus the infant is. That makes perfect sense. If you remember, when the nation of Israel left Egypt, they were guided by a pillar of smoke, fire, in the daytime, and at night there was the glow, the fire, the Shekinah glory of God leading them. That's quite possible what this is. So Herod tells them, it's probably in Bethlehem. Go that direction. When you find him, come let me know. I'll go worship him too. Now, you and I would have to suspect that he has some guys tailing the guys, right? He's not a dummy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They showed up. Think about this for a moment, okay? The Magi from the east, whether they were or were not kings, they were in fact used to being in the presence of kings. I suspect that when they entered Herod's palace, they were quite at home in that environment. The grandeur, the wealth, the display of power, That was what they were conditioned to be in. 
But they didn't fall down and worship Herod. They go to an insignificant town called Bethlehem, which is six or seven miles away from Jerusalem. They go to a nondescript house. Now, it's interesting if you try to put together the timeline, and I'm not sure I want to even try to do this, how old Jesus is at this point. Now, in a moment, we're going to see where Herod kills all the children under a certain age. So there is some indication, but that's kind of the top of the age, right? It is probably true that unlike most of our modern manger scenes that we show at Christmas time, the shepherds and the wise men were not in the same room at the same time. Okay? That doesn't mess up your belief system, right? By this point, they're still in Bethlehem, but they have moved into a house. I suspect Joseph has started to work. Why did they stay in Bethlehem? Why didn't they go back home? Hmm, we'll have more discussions about that. So he's working, they're in a house, and this entourage shows up. You know, we think about three wise men. Those three wise men probably had guys taking care of the camels, guys taking care of the guys who take care of the camels, guys who prepare the food. Okay, we're talking an entourage. And they show up, at this nondescript house, meet a nondescript woman with a nondescript baby, and they bow down and worship that child. Why? Why did they do that? Because they had been prepared for the coming of a king. Let me tell you the point of today's lesson. We're not quite through with it yet, but let me tell you the point of it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has entered the world. There are going to be those who are prepared for it, who have been waiting for it, who have been studying, reading, praying, getting ready for the coming of the King. Some of those people are pagans. The three wise men. I might add... Once again, in the Catholic Church, these three wise men are saints today because there is the expectation they went the right way. They worshipped Jesus the Christ. So there are those who are preparing, who are ready for the message of the coming King. But conversely, There are those who are going to fight against it with every breath in their body. They're going to stop the king from being the king. We have the wise men and we have Herod. We have the disciples. We have the Pharisees. We have this group. We have that group. And guess what? We have the same thing today. There are those who are ready to accept Jesus as the Messiah. 
And they are those who are ready to crush him with every opportunity they can. That's the point of today's lesson. I guess the real point of today's lesson is which one of those two groups do you want to be in? And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod the king is out to kill Jesus the king. And Jesus is a baby. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Why Egypt? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One of them we're going to see in the next verse, and that is to fulfill a prophecy. But there was a very strong Jewish community in Egypt. Do you remember all that? Assyrians and Babylonians capturing the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and all those big battles. There were a lot of Jews who just fled. And where did they go? They went to Egypt. So there is a strong Jewish community in Egypt that they could have gone and fit in. The other thing to remember is that Herod was king of Judea. He was not king of Egypt. The Romans were still involved in all of this, but they certainly didn't care about some baby that Herod was scared of. So they fled to Egypt to get out of the way of King Herod. Now, there's lots of speculation, and it's probably true. I like it. How did they afford the trip? How did they afford to live in Egypt? Well, Joseph probably worked, but what were the gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All very valuable items that would have been very marketable in Egypt that would allow them to survive in a foreign culture. So they go to Egypt and they wait until Herod dies. Then the angel comes. This was, right, before that, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. You know, what was he, a while ago? He was just a little uh, perturbed. He became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod is ticked off. Herod does what Herod can do, and he orders the murder of all the male Children under the age of two in Bethlehem and in the areas around it. Can you imagine the horror of this situation? You're sitting there, you've got a one-month-old son, 
and up shows a Roman soldier and just slits his throat. I mean, just like that. No discussion. No, it couldn't possibly be this child. No, I just moved here from next door. No. All the male children, two and younger, were murdered. Hmm. What does this tell us about those who oppose Christ and his work? It tells us they will do whatever it takes to try to accomplish their mission. In case there's ever any discussion in your mind about the existence of demonic forces and pure, unadulterated evil, here it is. There is a reason why when Joshua led the army into the promised land, they were told to wipe the people out. Why? Because the people had been practicing infant sacrifices. And it's like, in biblical terms, there's nothing worse. If I want to show that the society has gone to the depths, they start killing the infants. We can have a long discussion, because you know where this is going, but we're not going there today. Suffice it to say, when the demonic forces want to attack, they attack the children. Either physically, mentally, or some other way. You would like to think that some mothers heard rumor of this and they got out of Dodge as fast as they could. I don't know. This is a horrible thing that Herod is doing. But Herod is going to hang on to his throne as long as he can. Think about this. Herod's an old guy. Even if this infant grew up to be king of the Jews. What's that going to be to Herod? He's going to be long gone by that time. Didn't matter. He was a threat, and he had to be dealt with. I might add, Herod, before he died, ordered that when he died, all of the local leaders and officials be brought into the theater and killed because he was worried that when he died there would be no mourning in Israel and he said I'm going to make them mourn for something there is no indication that that order was carried out in fact it wasn't carried out But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take up the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who have sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, this is one of Herod's sons, not the son that's going to be the Herod when Jesus gets around to being crucified, 
This son is probably crazy, okay, just is. He doesn't last very long, nine, ten years, something like that. He was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that it was spoken by the prophets, might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. (coughs) You remember when the disciples start getting called, and one of them says, what do you mean he came from Nazareth? There isn't anything good in Nazareth. That's where he went. The Romans actually had a garrison at Nazareth, which made all the respectable people stay away from it. And the only people that did stay there were those who were participating in the Roman occupation. So it was not viewed as a good place. But it was safe. So that's when he went. Because whereas Herod was king of all of Judah, his son only got a piece of it. In one, of the land, uh, in one of the lessons, we'll put up some maps and show how this is all broken up because when we get to the crucifixion, just figuring out who's in charge of which territory gets a little complicated, but we'll deal with that then. So, four times the angel appears to Joseph and says to do something, and he did it. That's a good thing. He was told to take Mary to be his wife, even though she was already pregnant. He was told to flee to Egypt. He was told to return to Egypt, and he was told not to be in a particular area. He did what he was supposed to do. Why? Because he was a godly man following the word of God. The wise men came. They had been studying the stars... They were probably astrologers. They were following the stars. They were following the ancient manuscripts. They had been studying. They had been preparing for someone to come to be the king of the Jews. And they were ready to worship the baby that the star pointed to. And then you had Herod, the king of the Jews supposedly, whom the Jews did not accept because he was not of the lineage of David. And when he heard this, all he heard was a threat. Question. The message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of all mankind, the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, the fulfillment of the promises to David, Jesus the Christ is presented to you. What is he? Is he the fulfillment of everything you've been searching for and you didn't know it? But when you see it, you go, ah, that's it. Or is he the threat to the way of life that you are used to and familiar with? And when you see it, you react to it and say, no, not just no, heck no, we're not going that direction. That's the bottom line of today's lesson. Are we as believers going to be like Joseph and 
follow the instructions that were given? Are we going to be like even the pagans who searched after truth and when they saw it, they acknowledged it and worshipped the Christ? Or are we going to spend our energy and our strength attacking that which threatens our way of life? Remember this, because this is what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Matthew. We're going to see those who are coming, and we're going to see those who are fighting. And there's going to come a time when it's going to look like the people who are fighting won. For about three days. But you know that story. That's not Christmas. That's Easter. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that there are those who still seek after you. I pray, Lord, that we, like the wise men, would search and study to learn more about you. And that finding you, we would worship you with everything that we have. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.